I should, first of all, thank you for coming. Thank you for learning with me. Uh, I know it's still like right after bake. We're like, are you doing this tonight? I'm like, yeah, we're doing this. Um, tonight is also Yom HaShoah. I remember on the Upper West Side, um, we would have the reading of the names. They would basically read from a book of names. I don't know if you've seen this book. Um, it made a cameo. It was like in one of uh, BB's like videos from his office. There's this massive book and it's just names. Uh, I think they have something like 40,000, 44 uh, million names that they have. Um, and it's just names. And they would just read these names throughout the night. And different rabbis from throughout the community would go uptown. I forgot which synagogue it was. It was a reform synagogue. Uh, different rabbis would go and they would just read the names throughout the night to keep that going. It was actually kind of like a surreal experience. They would have candles. It would be dark. Uh, sometimes your slot would be like three in the morning and you would just go and do that. Um, we're going to have the opportunity tomorrow for our students to hear from a survivor. Uh, I'll just maybe spend like five minutes talking about this from an educational perspective. For people our age, so our experience of survivors are people like maybe our grandparents, people that we had relationships with, people that had gone through the experience of the camps, people that were my Saba, Zechron uh, Levracha, my Saba was like roughly like 14, 15 years old in Auschwitz. Um, it was on the younger side. But that meant that, that meant that when he survived, he had very vivid, clear memories and, and, and was able to live and be around long enough for us to get a little bit older to be able to ask him real questions. Um, I imagine, and I think it was, I think it was true, uh, it was true in, in, in many stages that there weren't many Polish survivors. Um, part of the reason is, is because the occupation of Poland by Nazi Germany uh, I don't know how PC this is to say. I don't remember my Saba or my Safta everyone saying the word Nazis. Uh, they said Germans. That was the word that they used. Um, there was something to that as well. But Nazi Germany, uh, a lot of things we learned from them, just the way that they spoke about it uh, or didn't speak about it. Um, Poland was occupied far longer. You didn't have young people really who survived from Poland. Right? Young people didn't survive the ghettos. Um, and they didn't survive four years or three years of Nazi occupation. Hungarians, many of the survivors that we came in contact with were Hungarians. Uh, the Nazi occupation of Hungary started much later, I think 1944. 1944, my Saba remembers and told us about Pesach, 1944. There were already Nazis in their house. Uh, they, had, they were confined to one side of the house. Their house was basically, you know... Um, taken over, billeted, I forgot what it was when British soldiers used to do that uh, to, uh, to, the co- to the colonists. Um, and by Shavuos, uh, they were gone, right? All of their shtetl, all of uh, Carpathian Hungary was essentially you know, liquidated and sent to the camps. And they didn't really spend a lot of time in the camps. They were just taken and killed. And, uh, and that was the experience of Hungarian juries. So survivors that we came in contact with, my principal, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Friedman, are... Uh, and a lot of these guys actually became educators as well. There was a whole cadre of educators, people that started Jewish day schools. And they really had nothing to lose. No email, which, which scared these people. They, they started Jewish education. And I think that they saw it as a sacred duty of teaching Jewish children, of continuing Jewish education. Uh, I heard on my friend uh, Rabbi David Bashevkin's podcast, he did a whole series on Jewish education. I think bar none, right, the 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 there are no guarantees, but the single greatest possible guarantor of Jewish continuity of continuing the chain is a Jewish education, is the gift of a Jewish education and all the messiness that comes along with it. But I think they saw that as their sacred duty. I think of my Saba, Sechron Levracha, and what he might have, um, what he might have gone through. Uh, 
and, and bringing that into Jewish education and seeing children in front of him, you know, I think that he would say that no matter how difficult the child, it's a Jewish child that's alive and healthy and well. Uh, that was something to be grateful to God for in, 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 the, in the first place without even getting beyond that. That itself is a miraculous thing. And the renaissance of Jewish life in this country and in Israel, we now have for the first time in Jewish history since... Um, since the destruction of the temple, the preponderance of the Jewish people, the majority of Jewish people live in the land of Israel. Uh, also, uh, you know, just like a quiet miracle that we kind of like, are at, all right. Um, and everyday life kind of obfuscates how monumental that is. Um, but when I think of Yom HaShoah, and I think of our experience, and I look at what we're affording our students, this is not to take away from their experience now, but there's, you realize a lot of the survivors' stories start to change. Uh, people are much younger. They were a child. They were hidden. They were uh, escaped. Um, it, is, uh, it is becoming rarer and rarer, and we tell our students this, to find uh, people who were active witnesses to living history. And we're now living in times where living history becomes history. Um, and that is a profoundly important, challenging moment. How do we make sure that that experience we had... Um, on our own to be able to interact and to connect with survivors and for them to give that Masora of, of darkness over to us, that tradition of darkness over to us. How do we do that when they're no longer around? Uh, A.B. Rottenberg in, that, in his song, when the very last survivor fades away, right? So what becomes of those memories is, is a really important question of chinuch and education. There is a line here, I don't know if we're going to get to it tonight, but it, it's, um, I, I, I'm just going to skip ahead for a second. But the Piazetzner is talking about, um, he's talking about struggling with the state of education in his day. And he finishes off a paragraph and he says, He's writing this well before, uh, well before the, the rise of Nazi Germany, before his own demise. And he says, God screams out from the heavens from his celestial abode and says, where are my children? Where are my sweet, precious children? The children, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where are they? Now he's talking about the kids that had left the yeshiva and gone out to the streets, but it is a chillingly prophetic line because just a few years hence, uh, that could be said for the million children lost in the Holocaust. So, so I, I guess our words tonight, it is inescapable to talk about the Piazzetzer, the author of this book, the author of this work. It's inescapable to talk about him without uh, recognizing how important his role is for the study and understanding of the Holocaust, what spiritual bravery and heroism means, um, and, uh, and without the notion that he is known by his work that was hidden during the Holocaust as well, even though the one that we're studying right now is not from that time. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's jump into it. I want to, um, I want to go a little bit off script tonight. We're going to start for a second. It's, uh, page 14. So he says, last time we were talking about what to do with the child who's exhibiting negative behaviors, anger, um, and how to channel those behaviors and direct into something positive, which is the work of an educator when they're, when they're being confronted with, challenging behaviors, right? Because, um, because I, think, I think that uh, we were talking to somebody, I was interviewing somebody for a position and, and they were speaking a really good talk about lofty educational goals. I mean, saying all the right things. And then, you know, I, I kind of like, let me throw a wrench in this. Let me ask about, you know, let's say we, we, we have this issue with transition times 
you know, students, you know, we could talk a big lofty transcendent language about our educational vision and goals, but at the end of the day, students and kids at home sometimes, you know, we could talk about the, the beauty, the joy of parenting. And sometimes it's like kids throwing a tantrum and they're covered in mud and like you're just like, all of that talk goes out the window. What do you do? How do you bridge to that? I think that all of the big lofty talk that most of us know how to do well doesn't really get off the ground. Uh, it's nice to say, you know, every child is precious and beautiful and has infinite potential is transcendent, but really, you know, nuts to bolts when it comes down to it, what are you doing in that moment when things are, uh, when things are really hard and things aren't going well and, and things are bad and you just want to scream? Uh, that's the real work. I think that, uh, you know, any good, um, I saw a line once that I, I never want to, uh, I never want to learn from a mystic who's never changed a diaper. Right, which is, you know, you could go, you could find the person that's standing at the top, sitting in the lotus position at the top of the mountain, and they could teach you the secrets of life and the transcendent oneness of all. But if, if they've never really had to, like, sit with a kid kicking around the diaper and, like, refusing for whatever reason to let you put it on, or if they've never had to, like, be up at night with the screaming baby, then, then what, what exactly do they have? to teach us parents? What exactly do they have to teach people who, who've been in it? Now, I apologize. If your children are angels, then you're still good. But uh, I imagine that these are somewhat universal, something that, uh, that always um, tickled me, I think. Uh, you know, you speak to parents and you tell them sometimes, I have only good news to report in school. And you'll hear from parents sometimes who say, well, this doesn't track with what we're seeing at home. It's rare to find uh, the opposite. Usually when a child is acting up at home, uh, they're also, you know, going to be experiencing challenges in school. But sometimes you'll tell parents to be like, no, it's not what we see at home. They save it all for us. So if you don't know what to do in those moments, you don't know how to channel, you don't know how to deal with that behavior, at least what your mindset should be. Nothing really gets off the ground. All the lofty talk doesn't move. So the Piazetsner begins to diagnose the issue of the day. And he says that our hearts are broken and the hair on our arms stands up. He says, When we see this young generation, that they have, they have a kofar, or an apikores, or a heretic, is somebody that has overthrown the yoke of God and, uh, and religion and its strictures and its obligations. They no longer believe. God save us, their ideas and their philosophy is one of rejection of Torah, rejection of Bitzvah, rejection of the Jewish people. God save us. They have no faith. They have no fear of anything. And they, they certainly don't have any Torah. This is a rough line. They hate. They hate God and they hate his people. They hate being a part of the Jewish people. Right, so the majority of principals and heads of school and, and rabbis that are uh, in these schools, to our great pain and chagrin, the only kids in front of them in their schools are the, are the high achievers, or the ones who are doing the right thing, or the good nicks. They comfort themselves. It's true. A lot of people have gone off. Right? Gone off the derech, that line. Right? A lot of people have gone off. A lot of people have no, no longer have any business here. But look, you know, uh, the Jewish people have lost out. Look who's before us. Right? It's like, you know, you see sometimes you have teachers in the class. Right? So, you know, all the good kids are in front. 
the good kids, I hate that line, but like, you know, the good students writing notes, they're all in front and they teach only to them and the kids in the back. They're, you know, nowadays, uh, I guess they're, uh, they're on the computer or whatever, whatever teacher might be letting them do. They're not invested. So it doesn't matter. I'm focusing on the three, four good students over here. At least I'm reaching them. But he's diagnosing this problem. Many, many students, we talked about how people used to leave, leave the yeshivot in, in droves when there were other options for the other isms out there. He says, look, this is what they're doing. And the rabbis are comforting themselves, saying, no, 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 we have good people in front of us. That's who we're teaching. That's who we're finding. And, he, and, and li- listen to his tone. He says, Maybe might you, might you please stick your head four amos, four feet outside of your shivas and, and take a look around and see which way the wind blows. Take a look at who's out in the street. Focus on who's not in front of you in the yeshiva. Focus on who's not with the program. Those are people. Right? So we find that all of these, this is a churban. This is a destruction. All of these bate medrash, all these yeshiva, all these schools have become emptied out. He's being very specific. He's saying, instead of Jewish boys and girls finding themselves in places of Jewish learning, so they've now, they have the Bundist group, and now they have the group of atheists, and the socialists, the communists, and the Zionists. They're going and they're discussing ideas that are anathema to Torah, mitzvot, and to tradition. They're rejecting it completely. And that's why the, that's what's happening. Even people who are working, or taking the train into the city to work, that used to be a Shem Lefrim, Afim Loayulom De Torah, even if they weren't Torah scholars, Mikomakom Yehudim Nemanim, they were faithful to Torah and to their people, Vakshav Kivneanor, Kafru Nod Vinaflu Vershachas, now they're gone, they've fallen into the deep pit, Rachmal Atzlan. This is Am Yisrael, the good students in front of us. Now I want to be very clear, he, he goes on to say that. Let's contextualize for a second. This is why I want to go off script for a second. Because what do we mean over here? Who is he referring to? He's referring to people who, who, previously, who previously would have been found directly in the yeshiva and now are denying the existence of God, denying the Torah quite vehemently. Also writing about it, putting it into Yiddish newspapers, waging war against tradition that they think has done them wrong. Now, the situation, what I wrote over here in my notes is how do we broaden this? How do we make this relevant to us? Because... It happens to be that we still live in a world where the vast majority, this is after this has occurred, after the Enlightenment, quote unquote, right? Where the vast majority of the Jewish world are people that we might look at, the Piazetzer might look at, although I can't speak for him, because I think he would probably have a much more nuanced and enlightened approach nowadays, but people who put themselves in a box of orthodox or people put themselves in a box of observant, they would say these are people who are not following the Torah mitzvah. So how do we broaden this? Because I wrote over here, a Holocaust happened. Right? And Holocaust happened means that everything, all of these systems, all of these areas kind of blew up. And, and how, could we, how could we make this into something that I, I think brings it closer to us? So I want to go off script for a second because there is very positive relationship with, there's another writer who talked about the difficulty in seeing the youth of his generation going what we would call off the derech and doing things that, to, for thousands of years of Jewish history, because we were confined and there was only really one option, right? Who were doing things that seemed to be against the Torah way, seemed to be violating the Torah and its mitzvot. Uh, what I want to do, and what, I, what I'm seeking to do over here is to say that there's actually relevance here for us 
moderns, for people living in the modern world to understand what exactly the import of this word is. Rav Cook is writing about the young generation in the land of Israel. Jews are coming to the land of Israel. We're going to have the Yoms coming up soon. You have Jews that are not Shomrei Shabbat, that are not Shomrei Kashrut, that are certainly not learning Torah. You have them, and what they're doing is they're risking their lives to settle the land of Israel. They're draining swamps. They are, um, they are catching malaria. They are fending off uh, marauders and hordes. And they are building the land of Israel with their bodies. In fact, they imagine themselves as new Hebrews, many of them. They imagine themselves as reclaiming an identity that had been lost, almost a biblical identity, right? The tanned Sabra, uh, as opposed to the, to the shtetl, to the, to the ghetto Jew. And Rav Kook, as, a, as the chief rabbi of the land of Israel, confronted them and saw that there were two approaches to this generation. So one approach was to say, well, they're not following the ways of old. They're not following tradition in the way that we understand it in the Torah and mitzvot. So therefore, it's all bad. And Rav Kook said that, that, that can't be the only way to look in. Rav Kook adopted, and we're talking over here about in the 1930s, Rav Kook adopted an almost totally different approach to them. An approach that I've mentioned before that he was excoriated for. Rav Kook writes, I'm just going to read you this one line over here because it comes from an essay that Rav Kook wrote in a collection of, uh, collection of essays called Eder Ayakar. Eder is the initials of Rav Kook's father-in-law who is the rabbi of Panovich, the Aderet, Rav Eliyahu David Rabinowitz Toomen. He was a twin. Rukuk wrote a collection of essays and he compiled them and put them together for his father. And this is called Ma'amar Hador. Another time, another place, we'll have the opportunity to speak about this essay and how monumental it was. And the way that Rukuk might help us, might inform, right, when, he, when, when the Piazetzer says Hador Hatsair, right, the older rabbi looking at the younger generation that doesn't want anything to do with what the rabbi thinks is important. With the Torah and mitzvot and tradition that the rabbi deemed as being the most important thing. Rav Kook writes, he says, he says that looking at this new generation, right, these young, new Hebrews, he says, eventually he's filled up with a feeling of joy. He says, Dorenu hudornifla, our generation, is referring to the young, our generation is a wondrous generation. Dor shekulotimhon, it's a generation that is filled with wonder, fills you with wonder when you see them. He says, It is difficult to find a model for this young generation. Of Cook is essentially talking about the same young generation in Israel that the Piazetzer is talking about in Europe, in Poland at the time. It's the same people who are going after different ideologies who are leaving Torah ideologies and saying there's a whole wide world out there. Let's connect to that. And both of these rabbis, who are the similarities between them are, are, go far beyond this. Both of these rabbis are actually looking at this generation and seeing an educational problem and seeing people who, who really should be drawn closer to tradition, to Torah, to God, to Jewish people ultimately and not rejected because the way they're doing things is different than the way that's been expected of, of Jewish children. Go to yeshiva, keep the mitzvahs, do exactly as you're told. So if Cook writes, he says, these are beautiful words in Sir Cook's poetry, we've not found an example or a model like this in all of Jewish history. This generation is filled of opposites. Darkness and light are mixed in together in, in equal mixtures. We find them risking their lives for their nation, and yet we find them, and you have to remember what a novel thing this is. We find them not keeping Shabbos the way that we would expect them to do. And Haredim, Jews that this was all they knew, that was shocking to them. That was something that was, that was basically unknown. If you were in most, if you were in certain places, 
to shuffle the Arut, there's things that does that are lowly, disgraceful, the rejecting Jewish people, the rejecting our Torah, right? V'gam ram v'nisan, yet there's ways in which they're lofty and exalted. Ukulo chayev v'gam kulo zakai. And Rav Kook riffs on language over here that the Gemara, the Talmud used to tell us about the generation of Mashiach. It says that in the Gemara in Sahajan, the generation of Messiah is a generation that's either completely chayev, completely liable for things that they're not doing, or completely zakai, completely uh, doing the right thing. Now, Rav Kook, I think, is channeling something that comes a little bit earlier. I'm just going to cycle through these really quickly, which comes from another radical, amazing thinker. I want to say, just put this out there, uh, I would love to actually teach this to our community in general. I think these questions come up a lot. And the title of uh, my class that's going to be this week is How to Judge Other Jews, right? That's like, that's, that's, uh, that's the, the talk I'm giving at Hillel. Because I think that for some people, they see, they see, especially when they see what we would term non-observance, they would say, well, that means that this is somehow a lesser Jew, that this is somehow a Jew who is a problem. And instead of looking at it as, as that, instead of looking at it as something that is representing a lower level, I think that represents a challenge to expand our understanding of what Judaism in its essential point really means. And, and I'm quoting to you from probably the most radical Torah that's printed in the Sefer Tzidka Satzadik from Tzadik of Lublin, who's, you know, another two decades before of Cook. And this is actually... Um, this is actually was censored out of many editions of Tzibchat HaTzadik that was published. In fact, uh, part of the Shir Lengim on Shabbos is to show how even the author of this edition of it uh, tried to temper the radicalness of Rabbi Moseson, who's the editor of this, and he wrote you know, scholarly notes in the bottom how he tried to sort of play down. Rav Tzadik starts off, he says, Iker Hayadus, the main part of being Jewish, who bekriyas Shem Yisrael, is by, by calling myself a Jew. But calling myself, he says, it's why halakhically a Jew has to give up their life rather than be forced to convert to Islam. Even though Islam doesn't have any of Zara, the Rambam even says, they, they have pure ethical monotheism, right? There shouldn't be any issue. And yet the halakhic literature says, just lay down their life. Why is that? Because the essential point of everything that we're talking about over here and the reading I have, which I think is charitable to be that sort of what we're talking about, a generation that's throwing off their hishtaychut, throwing off their connection to the Jewish people. And when I look at the educational, uh, the main educational goal of what we're doing now, modern Orthodox education 2023, with students that come through our doors is saying, how do you connect yourself to the Jewish people? How do you become a proud Jew? Whether, what that, what that looks like from an observance perspective in your home, that's actually going to be secondary. Of course, it's important. Of course, it's something that, that needs to be a conversation. But just bedrock. What are we educating towards? It's being proud, connected, joyful in their Jewish identity and connected to, especially when we deal in a community like ours that's blessed with the diverse background of learners. And I think that that's a way that we could take the Piazetsu's words over here. Even when he says that things that are bothering him is seeing Chilul Shabbat and people eating non-kosher, how we can broaden this discussion to our day and age, to our, to our own community, to communities like ours, to, to place like that, is to understand this notion of the main thing that we are educating for is people to be connected. Iker Hayadus, the main aspect of Judaism is Kriya Shem Yisrael, is to be called the Jew, to be a proud Jew, and to be connected to that. So and, what do you do that in today's day and age, we live in America, Yeah. right? So we have all these outside, you're just reminding me, we had, I mean, you were at one of our seders with my two nephews who are very, disillusioned with Judaism at this at this moment 
and I don't even know, we came up, I think it was the first Seder, so you weren't there for the conversation. They were not defending Kanye, you know, the whole thing with Kanye West and mm-hmm. all of his comments, but they were kind of explaining it in a way that was making it okay mm-hmm. like, as Jewish people. And we got into a whole, like, Lots of infuriating. Right? Yeah. We got into a whole conversation because that's well. like, basically antithetical like to saying, like, saying that you're a Jew. How could you be defending this yeah. guy? Who's like mentally ill and all all this stuff, but uh, like it. I mean, the fact that they were at our seder was a first, a good first step. Right. But it's like you know, and, and coming into that just secondary. I think that Judith posted this podcast that I listened to. It was um, about Jews in Israel going off the derech, or I think that was like a tertiary thing about it, and how because they live in Eretz Yisrael, the parents aren't worried because. This is water. The environment is... This is water, yeah. Right, because that in itself, it'll always come back, so you don't have to worry. But in America, where there's so many outside... They won't always come back. Right, and that's the worry. Yeah. So how... So my question, like, topless, is how do we we deal with... Like, the question... He's laying this all out. So how do we deal with kids who are are already disillusioned? So he's going to... So I... Oh, well, I know, I threw out a lot. <laughs> wow. Um, a, cu- a couple of comments. So first of all, I mean, how resonant is Cook's words? They're written in the 30s, but I think that they're still resonant uh, to us. No, they're not written in the 30s, they're written in the 20s. Cook, Cook passed away in the 30s. Cook pe- died in 1935. Maybe they're even earlier. I, I wish I was smart enough to remember when Mamar Ador is written. I think early 20s. Um, Rav... Rav Cook writes, Rav Cook writes about a mixture, about an admixture. Well, I don't know when we say admixture and mixture. Art school sometimes says admixture. Depends on the context. Is it? Is it? What's oh, yeah, you're a pharmacist. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I know admixture is pretty. What's, what's the difference? You've got to give me the context. Oh, forget it. Admixture. Si- sidebar. Admixture. You won't understand, Rab. The way I understand it is that an admixture is is something that's already mixed that's being put into something else. Oh, okay, that's amazing. the way I understand it. <laughs> I could be wrong. I love when you do this like, world. In any event... <laughs> Rav Kook... <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Rav, Rav Cook writes, he says that this door, that there's a... I think that you sit at a table and you see something like this, and, and I'll underscore again, infuriating. I mean, I'm so proud of you that you didn't lose your temper. We uh, were, I mean, the adults were kind of saying, but this is just basic. I mean, and he's in college now. We're going to say, when it comes down to it, and you're, you know. So uh, let, me, let, me speak, and, let me speak on a very, on yeah. a very uh, shitty level. And again, yeah. and I, I should have said this is like, a, I should have said this. This is like kind of what I'm driving at over here. Why am I, why am I showing you all this? Because a uh, uh, couple things. Put say there. I'm not an idiot, right? I know that when I talk in class, in a school like ours, and, and the joy of being out of town, quote unquote, and, and experiencing diverse backgrounds, diverse learners, and talking to my students. And, and when, I, when I'm mentioning, when I'm talking about everything, and this is an education challenge, how do I talk about this? How do I talk about things in a way that's most inclusive, in a way that is most gentle, in a way that ultimately brings people closer to my goal? If I, if I talk about Shabbos, I make a kid feel like garbage, Right? We all do this. We all do this. The kid goes home and says, 
you know, I think there's an educational approach that says the best possible outcome is for a kid to go home and say, mommy and daddy, you're, you're trash. What you're doing is trash. Rabbi told me, Rabbi told me to do it differently in school. And then nobody, and, and, and this actually happens and people aren't good at this, they'll write or aren't thinking with Seichel, they'll come home and, and, and the best possible outcome is that you made a family feel terrible. You put kids at odds with their parents. There's actually like, it used to be like kind of way things were done in like Israel yeshivas, right? You come home, Right? I, I did this to my own parents. I came home, even, you know, I, nothing is good enough. Nothing's good. You, you're, you're not Jewish. You know, you ever heard, like, they're not, you'll hear this, they're not Jewish. It's kind of radical, sick language. You hear this sometimes from rabbis, and they're not Jewish, because they're not doing things different. People said Rukuk wasn't Jewish. Right? People would lodge, like, this kind of, he's writing things like that, right? He's, he's thrown off the yoke of Israel. So what do I mean when I talk like this? And why is this important when I'm reading this book now in 2023 with an art towards my own students? No, not for you. I'm reading for how do I think about my own students in this? So I, I think about when I read this, and I say, well, this isn't relevant to us. I say, let me broaden this. How do I broaden this? First thing is that there's a Holocaust, right? Everything that he's talking about here, the whole world, broken up, blown up, right? All of those marachos, all of the, the orders, the way that things we're doing, uh, we're doing don't exist. Right? The very fact that there's a Jewish child who, who, who knows that they're a Jewish child is a miraculous thing. Right? So that's, that's bedrock. Then on top of that, once I have that in mind, and now I understand that I have like a bedrock goal of continuing, of not breaking a chain, of continuing so that they would send their kids to go get proud Jewish educations, learn Torah. And I also believe in the Gemara that Or Sheba Machzir Lemutav, Halvai, that learning a lot of Torah will make it into people who fix the world to make it better? And, and, and do I want that to come with a more intense shmiras ha-mitzvos for kids? I want everybody to, to do mitzvos properly. And I, I talked about this a little bit at our thing. But now I start to think about other things that we see. And, and how do I encapsulate them? And thank God we have tzaddikin like Rav Kook and Rav Tzaddik and the Balatanya who we're going to get to in a moment, Right? I see Orva Choshech Mesham Shabuvia. I have kids who, who have no business being at a Seder, right? The first one you said, right? No business being at a Seder, and yet they're there espousing nonsense, right? Well, because their mother forced them to be there. <laughs> you know, children, right? You can force them, force them, force, right? They're present and they're talking to you. It's like the, like I, I believe it's said in the name of Lubavitch Rebbe, there's the fifth child. Who's not at the Seder? It's okay. At least I'm talking to the Russia. Mm-hmm. I look at the students around their schools, I don't see any Rashaim. They don't see this as these are laws and things for you and that, and that you is an other. I see that this is for us. I might not understand it well enough. I might not connect to it well enough. The words that we start, start to percolate to the surface in modern education, connection, belonging, meaning, that wasn't always there. That wasn't even present. In, in, I never heard the word connection 20 years ago. It just wasn't, it was like everything was kind of taken for granted. Now it's connection because there's so many other things to connect to. Can, you, can we be mishair? Can, can we fathom the force and the pull of, of uh, I told you when we talked about like Ant Israel stuff of a Bella Hadid Instagram account on a seventh grade girl and the pull that has on her and that her, her, her Tanakh Mora is going to is, is competing against that the very vision of beauty and success and money and, 
and, and, and something that is curated to make you feel like this and to aspire to this, and then they tell you something that runs antithetical to your values. Can you blame a kid to say, it's not what I want? I was going to say, in defense of Elisa's nephews... Of Kanye West. West. <laughs> <laughs> to the listeners, I'm going to defend Elisa's nephews. They seem like fine young men. They represent 95% of Jewish kids who right. live in the yeah. secular world. But that's scary. To that's what, that's what, but that's what I'm driving. And that secular world, and, that, and the pull of that, the pull of that is, it, and, that's, and that's exactly it. Right? If your stance is to look at them doing something bad, infuriating, yes, doing something bad, if you look at it and frame it as an educational problem rather than like a moral failing on, on the part of teenagers, you're going you're gonna to lose. You're going to fight. And then, you, and then you won't get anything. I think what the PSS is diagnosing the problem is they have people leaving. What he immediately goes into, do we have time? What he immediately goes into now, and, and we'll get to the, at the end of the day, what, I, what I'm really driving at is that when it comes to diagnosing the spiritual moral failings of other people, right, the, the, unless you're like a teacher in a classroom as a relationship with the child or a parent with the child in your own home, don't do it, right? Don't, don't do it because the first, the first step to repairing that needs to come from a relationship, the relationship that a teacher has with their students, the relationship that a parent has with their students. Otherwise, you're ill-equipped to do anything but damage, right? That's important. That's important to be saying. And, and the Balatanya and Perak Lamed of Sefer Atanya spells this out for us. It says, Havi shfal ruach kol adam. A person has to remember, and we say in Perak Yavos, Perak Beis, second chapter Perak Yavos that we're going to be learning this Shabbos. Second chapter, Perki Avos in Mishnah Dalit says, We have no business nowadays, 2023, judging other Jews for where they're holding in their Yiddishkeit. Our job is to educate, to help them connect, and to be positive and to focus on the positive. It's not because I'm being fluffy or not because I, don't, I lack the bile or vitriol. I certainly can have that for things that I think are not. It's, it's because it doesn't work. It's because it accomplishes nothing. It's because that... The, the goal of connecting people to being part of the Jewish people, uh, his, his goal, the Piazetzner's goal, our goal of, of our education, of our children, of wanting them to continue in our path, saying, this is important to me, I want it to be important to you. Come to Shul because Shul is important to me. Daven Tashem because having that transcendent other that I could speak to when things are difficult or I could think when things are good because that's good or I could turn to when things are dark, connect to that. Right? We're saying this is important to me. I want it to be important to you. The Piazetzner says that when diagnosing an issue, the issue is not the children. It ain't the kids. Because in the very next paragraph, I think I'm running out of uh, these sheets and I'll print them more for, uh, for next week. He says, he basically says, this is our fault. It's the fault of the adults. Can't blame the kids. He says, are we so certain about the students in our own schools have we accomplished what we seek to do? A lot of schools, we're asking ourselves this question now. We have, you know, our, uh, our NIASC. Um, what does that stand for? New England. So, we're, we're, doing our, uh, we're doing our research. You know, we have it. Everything's, we wax the floors for them. We're rolling out the red carpet. Um, Something that we ask ourselves is, do we, feel like we're, do we feel like we're accomplishing our mission? And part of that means reevaluating our mission statement, saying, well, this might be wordy, or this might be something that we need. I've spent many, many hours uh, in, my old, in my other institutions, many hours hacking away at mission statements. Because he's asking, are we so certain that we're fulfilling the mission, even with the students that are inside of these schools? 
right? I mean, one possible broadening here is connected to this line about what is it that we're trying to accomplish with this Jewish education and are we accomplishing it with the students that we do have? We talk a lot in school about all the students that we're not reaching. Right? There's a lot more, lot more Jewish students in Fairfield County than the ones that are coming to Bicultural and to LaFell and to Westchester. There's a lot of students, a lot of people with Jewish identities and Jewish souls that we're not hitting, right? So are we so certain about the ones that, that we do have that are part of our school community? Are we so certain that we're accomplishing our goals with them, right? So that's something that, that we have to ask this question. I think the answer is like everything else, yes and no, right? Yes and no, can, can work on improvement. I remember when I, I started as a fellow at, at SAR and the purpose of having a mission I think is important. Rabbi Hartzler sat down with us and we spent like three hours on SAR's mission statement. It happens to not really be so very different uh, than what bicultural's vision statement, mission statement is, right? You're a Jewish modern Orthodox school uh, with families that come from the spectrum of observance and you want to speak to being a good, like, it's not that much, like the English language can only stretch that far, right? There's there's so, so many things you could say. It's all good things. And we spent an hour in it and I realized afterwards, like, this is what indoctrination feels like, right? In a good way. <laughs> We're being brainwashed. Um, the point in, in a good way, the point is, is that you cannot accomplish anything unless you have that vision in mind. I would leave you with this potential takeaway uh, from an evening like tonight is that when you parent and when you educate, um, and, and I, I see this, uh, I'm reading this book by Ron Clark. I started over uh, Yontif. If you're unfamiliar with Ron Clark, um, he's the kind of educator, he started a school, an inner city school, and he ended up being played by like Matthew Perry in a movie. Right? So that's, that's Ron Clark. He's a rock star, and, uh, and, and he writes in the book that whenever a hard decision, whenever a hard moment comes up before reacting, you always go back to, am I fulfilling my, what is my mission? What's my goal over here? Uh, it, it's, if you find yourself driven, that's what being value driven is, you find yourself doing that, your chinach, your education is going to be. And I think back to Ikra Yadis B'Kriya Shem Yisrael, Dor Nifla, right? I think back to these things, I think about Litzareinu, that the Piyazetzin is saying that we only see Bachurei Chemed and we're missing 90% of people who are attracted to other things. Let's do one or two more lines. He says, Hein Emesh HaTamidim Tatvot. So it's true that there are students, right? What's the goal? Oh, they're going to go to Yeshiva in Israel, they'll go to a Jewish high school, Maybe they'll marry Jewish, right? We say, yeah, it's like the bare bones. They'll marry Jewish. They'll continue on, right? They'll send their kids to day school. And then like we kind of say, like, it's kind of just self-perpetuation, okay? It's bedrock. It accomplishes something, but there should be more. And the Piazzetta says, look, these people become householders and they're learning Torah and they're serving God. Okay, fine. We could say at least we've accomplished our mission with these kids. God help. They'll stay part, they'll stay on our side, on our team. They'll be part of us. Is everybody going to make it to that next level? Can we be so certain with every graduate of our institutions that they're going to continue the values that we said are important? Or are they going to leave? Right? And we're not just talking about people who didn't have a day school experience. But are they going to are they going to leave their parents' homes and, and reject and rebel against everything that we told them was important? When at what point are you sure that the values that you communicate to your children are going to be values that are going to continue over? I don't know. Some of the most difficult things that I ever encountered as a rabbi were seeing parents 
dealing with, I, I saw, I saw parents whose, whose child became very, very um, involved with BDS. And it was, and, and, and the way, the way that it broke these parents' hearts was, it was, was painful. It was painful because I don't understand. We, and they were older. We raised them to love us or we gave them experiences. We gave them a nuanced approach. What, what video, what thing didn't we, what thing didn't we show them? It could be for some other parents that their Jewish child becoming involved in BDS as a Jew is, is an expression of those values. Could be. But, but there's nothing as difficult and there's no time you could say, what happens at that next level? How many students can continue in our educational program? Leave to work, or in our cases, leave to programs, right, in other schools, in public schools, or leave the yeshiva day school system. A thousand leave for learning. One, one thousand go to learn, and one, just one of them is going to be teaching, right? So we can't be certain. What certainty do we have that the second they don't leave yeshiva, they don't leave the conference yeshiva, they're not desecrating Sabbath, or they're not rejecting their heritage? Right? I always, I always wondered, I said this to a friend of mine who was raised, who is a chassid. I said, the thing that bothered me, many things that bothered me, I said, you know, I the I said, I don't understand why there has to be, what value is in education with such fear that the second, the second a child leaves that educational system, Everything that they learned is fall, it falls apart. So you have to shelter that from them. It was in the context of going to the army. And what good is the education that for a year, volunteering for the army after being in like some Haredi educational system, everything falls apart. What does that speak about the educational system? Mm-hmm. It's a klutz kasha. I'm missing a lot of information, whatever. But our, our systems, our education, what we teach them at home, what good are our values at home if the second they leave our home? They dump those values. Please and thank you. And the second they go out with their friends to a pizza store, they're leaving their stuff all over the table. The second they go out to a Shabbaton, all of a sudden they trash the hotel room on the Shabbaton. I understand. That's not how I raised you. So with yeshivas, what good is it when they leave? So let's finish up this paragraph and we'll be done for tonight. So why not think about when they're still with us, when they're still under our roof? And they're still in our yeshivas. Let's think deeply about it. So even these students that go off and become the Kanye defenders are, are rejecting, right? Rejecting heritage, rejecting their place in Jewish people when they're still with us. We're still raising them. So I'd say his final line is like, what do we do when the students are in our systems, in our homes, in our schools, what do we do to ensure that the Jewish identity, the Jewish connection is one that stays forever? Can, can you guys give me two seconds to read you a story to show you what I mean? I know, I know, that, we were, um, I know that we were a little bit far off today, but um, this, is a, this is a book, Mesaprim Tanya, stories about Tanya. Beautiful. Tanya is, is, is this work. It's the main work of the founder of Lubavitch Chassidus of the Alter Rebbe. He says, in the beginning of the communist regime, so there was in Poltova, 
in Poltova, in the city of Poltova, there was a sandler, a, 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 a cobbler, a certain cobbler that started to open up his, his uh, shoe, his, what, is, what does the cobbler do? His, his shoe store. A shoemaker place. <laughs> he started to open it up on Shabbos. Now you have to understand, this is in a context where 95% of people, 99% of people are keeping Shabbos, right? So he says, start open up a store on Shabbos. This was unheard of, right? How could this be? Right? Never seen anything like this. Palm, one time, so the Hasidim were gathered together. So Rav Chachafaygin, said that every Shabbos morning he goes, he goes past this and he feels like he's being stabbed in the heart. He sees his former chassid, his former compatriot, is now opening his store on Shabbos. I'm talking, you know, 1800s. And they asked him, what does it feel that you're stabbed in the heart? Rav said that he started, and, and he started to cry, and he said, when I see this cobbler, I ask myself the following questions. So I saw that he didn't learn and he, um, and he, he I, I saw that he didn't get to learn. He didn't have an education. He doesn't have the exposure that I had to Shabbos. And I call him a Mechala Shabbos. I call him a person that's desecrating the Shabbos. What about me? I've learned about Shabbos. I was brought up in a house where Shabbos was kept in a certain way. I saw my grandparents do it. I spent years in yeshiva studying the laws. I spent everything. And he says... Is there not times that I'm in my Shabbos, they're not doing things the right way, they're not doing things the most proper way, they're not focused completely on what it is, maybe for five minutes or ten minutes here and there, that they're not properly done the way that I've been taught, the way that I've experienced, the way that I've been nurtured? He says, isn't that not considered making me a Mechal Shabbos? He says, that's why I feel stamped in the heart when I pass by. He says, because all I have is a sense of identification a sense of understanding for this person, right? A complete inversion of what you would expect him to say. He says, what, it, what I realize when I see it, says, there's something wrong with me. That's why I get, that's why I feel the stab in the heart. And there's other beautiful stories over here. We'll leave it at this, but this is, I think, the, the posture that we have towards people at the Seder today, the posture we need to have towards students that are expressing challenges, expressing difficulties that we're, that we're finding it difficult to transmit our tradition to, to our children who are finding it difficult to transmit our tradition to. And, and the diagnosis of the problem is, is uh, spoiler alert, it's not going to be the children. It's not going to be the younger generation. It's going to be, it's going to be us. And how to fix that is going to be uh, what, what involves the author, what involves the Piazetzner. God avenges blood. It's going to occupy him for, 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 the next, uh, for the next few pages. So we'll continue with that.